Well, thanks everyone for joining us on another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. This is Matt Hines. I appreciate everyone who is joining us on the podcast. Really excited to see our numbers continue to inch up. Thanks everyone for downloading the uh, the program and listening to these episodes. You can always find every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, past, present, and future at salespipelineradio.com. We are featuring some of the best and brightest minds in B2B sales and marketing each week. Today is absolutely no different. I'm really, really excited to have on the show one of the masters of B2B sales, digital selling, a good friend, Jamie Shanks, on the program today. Jamie, thanks so much for joining us. Matt, thank you so much for having me. You're one of the good guys. Really appreciated getting to know you over the years. And I think, you know, we've got such interesting sort of parallel sort of lives and careers. I feel like, you know, we met at an inside sales conference years ago when we were both trying to get our businesses rolling. We've both sort of, you know, the the tri- trials and travails of growing a business as well as sort of managing uh, and balancing family with that as well. I mean, from afar, it's, it's also been really, really exciting to watch the growth of Sales for Life, how you have emerged as sort of the leading voice in the digital sales world. So congratulations on that. Talk a little bit about what that growth has been like as you've been growing a business while also really sort of leading a movement on the digital sales front. Well, the growth, you know, it absolutely feels like a, a war of inches, but it's one of those things that every once in a while I do need to reflect. Maybe I do it, you know, at the end of every year as part of my New Year's resolutions. I look back and I think of one of the coolest sayings I ever heard. It was actually from Robert Herjavec on Shark Tank. And he said, you will overestimate what you can do in one year, but you will completely underestimate what you can do in 10 years. So I've now been on this journey for Sales for Life journey. This is like our seventh year. And I say it's a war of inches because it's, you know, it's kind of like what we teach sales leaders to teach their sellers. And that the only thing you can really control is your own activities. And it's just about every day getting up and trying to serve my customers, teach them things they don't already know. And in a digital community, I'm making videos, writing blogs, writing books, sharing insights, doing business development like everybody else. And there are days I wake up and think, man, I feel like I'm taking two steps backwards. But over a period of time, it's clear I'm making headway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's your, your, your comment about this being a war of inches, I think is right. I think a lot of people that have not uh, built a business that have not really tried to sort of build a movement, uh, don't realize just how much work it takes that, you know, the, the path to success, there is no elevator, the elevator is perennially broken, you have to take the stairs, and there's no shortcuts to getting that done. You were very much sort of in, you know, the right place at the right time when you were growing the social selling business. I mean, I think as you started to grow your business, social selling really became a prominent factor in the market. And I think still today, we see a lot of companies really continue to invest in leveraging social channels. Talk a little bit about where that has come from. I think there was there was a lot of frothiness about social selling to begin with, a lot of hashtag social this, social that. Um, I feel like we have settled into a more mature phase where social selling is now part, a solid part of selling. How do you see that evolution and maturation? Where is social selling today as we sit here at the beginning of 2019? The reality, if you looked at it uh, from a total macro, you know, all sales organizations at a global scale, we're st- we are very much still in early adopter, early innovator space. I've learned this lesson actually through Jill Rowley. So Jill Rowley, the 10th employee at Eloqua in the year 2000, she's a partner in our firm and a mentor. And she talked about the first five years that she was a sales professional at Eloqua. It was like beating her head against a desk. 
explaining what is marketing automation. Okay. By about 2005, 2006, the world started to less ask less about the why and more about the how. But we're now talking about the year 2019 right now. And I heard some crazy statistic, like the number of global companies that are actually using marketing automation or marketing automation effectively uh, is a small percentage of the total sales of total sales and marketing forces. And I mean, you, you would know this more than anybody, Matt. And so with social selling, I got into this because I was a failed consultant who needed to develop my own self-propelling business development strategy. And it was at the emergence of LinkedIn was just coming into its own. Twitter was evolving. Facebook, people were using it more. And I saw it as two things. One, it was the world's best research tool. Number two, it was a communication medium that wasn't oversaturated. And so I took advantage of using these tools to develop my own business development strategy and then started teaching people what I was doing. And still to this day, it's an effective, complemented business development mechanism amongst other things, phone, email, face-to-face meetings, mailers. It is yet just another tool in the tool belt to help a seller align with a buyer and be there first. And that's ultimately what we try to teach the company. Talking today on Sales Pipeline Review with Jamie Shanks. He is the CEO of Sales for Life. And uh, Jamie, I think if you go to your website, salesforlife.com, people can find a whole bunch of great content, lots lots of videos. You've got the definitive guide to social selling for leaders. I've noticed in a lot of your marketing um, and a lot of your messaging that you've made the shift from social selling to digital selling. Help, help, Help me understand what's the difference and why is it important to think about this broader than just social channels today? And this is an important inflection, uh, as you and I were just talking about the growth trajectory of that term social selling. Social selling just means the the usage of social media platforms within a go-to-market, sales go-to-market strategy or a sales process. So think of it as a series of sales plays that are intertwined into a go-to-market. Well, the reality is that social media is only one mechanism to help a seller connect with a buyer. Other digital platforms like video is one and is soon emerging and I believe is the next wave, artificial intelligence and machine learning, are all digital data points. Remember, you're using these tools for research, for account planning, for account engagement, for account qualification and disqualification. All of these digital tools and fingerprints that customers are leaving around can be harnessed to help a seller. And so we're evolving it towards digital. And in fact, even companies like LinkedIn are evolving it beyond digital. They don't even call it digital anymore. It's being called modern. That's all that it is. Because at the end of the day, social selling, digital selling, it's all just selling. It's just infusing the 21st century into your sales place. So there's been an interesting, I don't know if I'd call it debate, but just I guess a back and forth between you know folks that have been evangelizing more modern sales techniques and tactics and a group of folks in the market that I guess I would call more traditionalists that have you called it a fad, called it something that is that has been overblown. I think that there's probably somewhere in the middle that is actually accurate, right? I don't think that social selling and digital selling means that traditional approaches to sales aren't working, but I think that there is clearly an evolution of 
of taking some of those sort of those challenger related, some of those sort of bringing insights to the able best practices and simply using some of the digital channels to improve your connect rates, to improve the connection, improve the frequency and value of your interactions. How do you see the sort of the traditional sort of quote unquote evergreen best practices of selling sort of merging and integrating with more modern digital selling techniques? And I'll be the first to admit whether it was um, something that we did intentionally or uh, it, it happened to evolve in, uh, sorry, to devolve into where it became this debate of cold calling versus social selling. I'm the first to admit that all, uh, first to admit that that's just clickbait. The reality is that, it, that social selling is an accelerant or a complement to an existing go-to-market strategy that's working. Let's assume first that it's working, you know, phone, email. And the reality is you can't have one without the other. I am not winning deals for my business on LinkedIn, but I am starting conversations on LinkedIn to ultimately win my right into the boardroom and vice versa. So what the most important thing to take away from this is that this is yet just another accelerant or tool in your tool belt. I'm a firm believer you cannot run an effective business development strategy without using all and available resources to your disposal to be able to help the customer. And if traditional meant licking envelopes and mailing things to people or making calls or sending emails and or direct message people on Twitter, these are all available tools that can only help as long as you know, the, big, the big if and what we do with companies is, is really refine that time management of what you're doing. But ultimately, they are all important elements to the process. All right. So you literally wrote the book on this topic. Your first book was Social Selling Mastery. And for anyone listening who has not really sort of fully delved into not just tactically, what do I do on channels, but thinking strategically about how you leverage social to improve your sales efforts, highly recommend Social Selling Mastery. Your new book, however, is called Spear Selling. And, you know, I love this topic. It immediately makes me think about, I think, John Miller, who was the co-founder of Marketo. Uh, He is the founder, sort of CEO of Engageo now. And I've heard him and he probably pulled this from someone else talk about, you know, you know, traditional marketing and selling often looks like fishing with nets. Target account selling is fishing with spears. So I was really excited to see the title of your book really sort of lean into that. Talk about why this topic was what you chose next to write about and why why target account sales development is such an important topic for for sales and marketing leaders to understand today. And you just mentioned that analogy of fishing with a net and fishing with a spear. And and if you went back a few years ago, as inbound marketing became more pervasive in organizations, as marketing and is becoming more accountable to sales quota attainment, what social selling mastery was about was being a magnet and creating a system for yourself as an individual seller or if in a business unit To be able to create a structure where you are, like Forrester's statistics, 74% of deals are awarded to sales professionals that are the very first to provide value and insight. So it was about this concept of stealing from challenger sale. It's teach, tailor, take control. Get there early and shape the deal. The challenge with social selling mastery is it didn't focus enough on the realities of today's 
global sales forces in which the seller only has a very small portion of their sales quota attainment being delivered from two external sources, inbound from marketing or from their channel. The vast majority of sellers, I would say anywhere between 60 to 80% of their revenue mix or sales bookings mix is to be self-generated. And as we as a business evolved and started training global organizations, we saw this time and time again that the challenge was the seller sits in Texas or is a vertical like the airline industry. And they had absolutely no idea how to start their own business development structure. They didn't understand how to select accounts. And we can get into this in detail, but this is the single most important piece to the long tail success of sales quota attainment. The accounts you select dramatically change the volume, velocity, and probability of deals. Then what is my account plan? Then what is my storyboards and sales plays to activate this account? Then how, once I activate this account, am I being objective about running with this account or being objective about replacing this account in a natural cadence? So long as the short was, there wasn't a structure for the individual seller who had 30, 50, or 100 accounts. What do I do next? Because I have to control my own destiny and fish outbound, not just be a magnet for things that could come inbound in my territory. I know we just got a couple more minutes here with Jamie Shanks. He's the CEO of Sales for Life, author of the new book, Spear Selling. Highly encourage you to check this book out. You can find it on Amazon. You can learn more about it at salesforlife.com. And you can also download a free chapter of the new book, Spear Selling, at salesforlife.com. And I think that chapter, maybe last question for you before we know we got to let you go, is around this social proximity mindset. And I think for you, Spear is not just sort of an analogy, but it's also an acronym. And S stands for selecting the right accounts. Talk about how the social proximity mindset can help you find the right accounts that are most likely to engage and buy. Okay, I want you to picture the average account executive. I want you to sit them in a room right now and ask them, what are the top five accounts you're targeting right now? And dollars to donuts, when you get them to actually peel back the onion and explain why they're targeting those five or 10 accounts, It's usually a wallet share mindset. And what that means is they've selected an account because it has brand cachet. It's the largest in a vertical or market. It has the right number of employees. And I've seen this before in the boardroom. Somebody in my company thought it would be great if we went after them. There is no more asymmetrical competitive advantage. means a disproportionate competitive advantage that your company has going after that account than your competition or like-minded companies that sell to that same buyer who are shaping kind of uh, the wallet of the buyer. What I want you to rethink about is imagine if we thought about our own customer successes outward. And what we have as an exercise for sellers to do is take existing customers of yours and draw a circle around them. And as a spider web, start thinking about the relationships in companies who actually care and would be highly influenced by the success you've already had in a territory or vertical. As an example, when people leave your existing customers, your advocates, and they move on to new companies you're not doing business with, it's six times cheaper and easier to sell to someone you've already sold to in the past than it is to find a net new business that doesn't know you. What about the existing customers you have today? Can they broker referrals for you? There's competitors to your customers. There's vendors. There's partners. And so with social proximity means using 
the strengths of relationships that your company has already forged as the catalyst to prioritizing the accounts you go after. And remember, your competitors have their own asymmetrical competitive advantages, your disadvantages, in which you could be monitoring every account you're targeting and basically raising yellow flags and red flags on these accounts and saying, hold on, you're going to spend the next nine months going after that account when three of their C-level executives used to work at our competitor or uh, did projects with our competitor. That's just a giant waste of time. And so those are just the basis of using this free and available information to help you target accounts where you have strengths, not weaknesses. Now we got to wrap up here, Jamie. You know you got to, you got to, to head out uh, quickly, but I um, want to thank you for your time today. Uh, where can people learn more about you? Learn more about Sales for Life, and then uh, learn more about the new books we're selling. I am a free and available resource on LinkedIn. Just look up Jamie Shanks. Uh, our website is Sales for which is f o r life dot com, and the book you can get on Amazon, or you can go to Get spearselling.com and you can get it in all the formats you can imagine you know audibles uh, kindle and then hard and soft love it love it well thank you so much for joining us today thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of sales pipeline radio if you like this want to share it with some of your colleagues uh, you can find it on demand at salespipelineradio.com we'll be back with more b2b sales and marketing conversations until then this is matt hines thanks for joining us on another episode of sales pipeline radio